from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Welcome to Go Ask Alley, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Don't think that there's some one soulmate. It's not like there's one. Although Bon Jovi is my soulmate. <laughs> there's always exceptions. Are you saying that gossiping is the same as if I'm picking lice out of your scalp and eating it? Well, you've done both. So what do you think? I don't want to give her too much. I don't like her to come in with an inflated head. So we won't mention the Golden Globe. After all we've been through, we deserve an orgasm, sis. We deserve... (laughs) I know. Welcome to Go Ask Allie. I'm Allie Wentworth. This season, I'm digging into everything I can get my hands on, peeling back the layers and getting dirty. On this episode, we'll be talking about cancel culture. What is it? And what does it mean for our social, political, or professional worlds? People can't seem to say anything without the risk of being quote-unquote canceled, which could mean being shunned, shamed, or fired. The thing is, I find it to be very divisive, and I'm really scared about it because I think it hurts us culturally and politically and spiritually. So today on this episode, I want to understand it. I am a student of cancel culture. I'd like to be able to sit at my dining room table without my daughters telling me, I can't say that, I can't do that, mom, you're going to be canceled, particularly because I'm somebody that is very vocal on my podcast and on talk shows. So I have two guests with me today to dig into the minefield of cancel culture, internet culture journalist Asia Romano, who has written deep dive articles for Vox about the origins and evolution of cancel culture. Then we dig into the effects of cancel culture on comedy. And the bigger question, is comedy dead? Actress and comedian Amy Schumer tells me her thoughts. First up, Asia Romano. They are a cultural reporter for Vox. They're focused on internet culture and communities, as well as criticism and commentary on movies, TV, theater, and other media. Asia's written two in-depth articles for Vox explaining the history of cancel culture and how it's evolving. So come with me while we dig into this whole notion of cancel culture. And when I say dig in, I mean very gingerly. Asia Romano, I'm just so thrilled you're you're coming on to talk to me about this. So welcome to Go Ask Allie. Hi, thank you for having me. So Asia, let me ask you a question. Are you millennial? Are you Gen Z? Gen X? 
<laughs> I'm right on the border between Gen X and millennial. Okay. So I'm, there's no generation for what I am. I'm so old. Social media like didn't exist when I was younger. And so I still feel like a student, not only of social media, but of so many things. And one of them I'm particularly fascinated by because I don't truly understand it is cancel culture. You're not alone. Okay, good. So walk me through your understanding or how you view cancel culture. Let's start there. Well, I think you have to understand when you talk about cancel culture, you're really talking about essentially two different things. You're talking about the original idea of canceling, which was sort of a community idea that began kind of as an in-joke around the end of 2014, 2015 among Black communities on social media. So you have that initial idea. Canceling is the idea of like a an individual or a collective boycott of somebody who's rubbed you the wrong way. And then you have cancel culture as it's become this ongoing cultural phenomenon where people react to something they don't like, harassing them, calling their managers, trying to get them held accountable and or fired and or prohibited from future work, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And essentially trying to enact a community boycott through the means of social media um, that's become this kind of political weapon. And I think that's what people are describing as cancel culture. But I think it's existed for a while. This, I mean, it maybe wasn't called cancel culture, but, you know, there were figures in even the past century that people would do their version of cancellation, like Lenny Bruce. Absolutely. And and other people, except now it seems like it seems divisive, Asia. It seems mean and scary. Well, I, yeah, that's also why I tried to differentiate between the actual canceling, which I think was, again, sort of individualized mm-hmm. and and meant as like a community form of protest and talking truth to power, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And a lot of that has been compared to, say, the civil rights movement boycotts, you know, when you'd have people exerting their power as a community because they didn't have individual power. So you'd have the boycotts of, you know, businesses in the South that were segregated to draw attention to the inequality there. And in that sense, a cancellation is sort of an updated version of a boycott, right? And it's doing sort of similar things because it's trying to draw attention to like power, like a power differential. Right. You know, there's some people that think cancel culture doesn't exist. Other people say it's free speech. Is it free speech? Is it protecting free speech? I think it's complicated because I think we're definitely seeing people freaking out about cancel culture. We're seeing, you know, members of of right wing legislatures pass uh, ordinances against cancel culture. And they're trying to, say, ban critical race theory from being discussed in classrooms, right? Like, so there's an actual effort to both crack down on the cancel culture and then also cancel people they think are doing the canceling. Right. It gets into this vicious cycle, right? Yep, yep. So we're, we're seeing real world effects of this thing that may or may not exist. So let me ask you this. Time's Up is a movement that was created to help all women in sort of every faction deal with workplace inequity, whether it's sexual harassment or or unequal pay. And so here's a movement that has been worked on by some incredibly smart activist women. And somebody comes along, okay, and attacks Governor Cuomo with, you know, perfect grounding to do so. And what happens in our culture is People don't go through the narratives and the storylines from both sides. They hear something and they go, okay, you're canceled. And my biggest issue is that there's so much misinformation and so much quickness to punish. And the next thing that happens is, let's say with Time's Up, they're canceled. And then there's like, there's no advocates left on the playing field. So... The thousands of women maybe that were being helped and there was scaffolding around them to help them in the workplace, it's just immediately gone. There are repercussions. And I think that there's no due process anymore. Right. And one reason for this, I think this is fueling a lot of the outrage against cancel culture. Mm -hmm. And it's the way that social media operates to kind of 
as you said, really collapse and condense arguments that are much more complex, right? And much more nuanced. Because like if you're on Twitter all the time and you only have 280 characters, right? You can't really have a lot of nuance. In addition to that, I think is something the academic Alice Marwick has, she's termed it as morally motivated networked harassment. And what that means is that instead of say like a good faith engagement where you have, you know, and kind of both sides getting airtime and both sides getting the chance to talk through a debate or a conversation, right? Instead, you have a situation where on social media, you'll have people who are in essentially social media networks who are motivated to kind of spread outrage. And this happens at every point along, say, the political spectrum. And often it has nothing to do with politics. It could be like if you're in a religious community and you're motivated by a specific tenet of your religion, or if you're in a fandom and you're motivated by a specific belief that your fandom has, like it frequently happens that fans will just sort of attack each other. It can be very kind of complicated to follow, but the sort of underlying core activity that Marwick identified is that once people latch on to this idea, whatever it is that they can get, (laughs) that they can get mad about, then they can spread it to their followers and be kind of a part of this this chain of of reaction, right? And that validates people. And once you have that kind of thing happening, you don't really have due process. Like you said, you have this sort of moral outrage spiral that keeps growing and growing because people are motivated to share their anger. Yeah. And that sort of gets them clout on social media in a way that, you know, having a conversation does not. Right. But I think cancel culture equally as often impacts people who are, you know, not involved in politics at all, people who are just trying to live their lives. And then all of a sudden, because of something they said or did, they are hit with these waves of harassment. And I think that that's partly because people who are doing the harassing feel so justified. This is the key to like the moral motivation behind it all, right? They feel so justified in what they're doing that they don't care that they're hurting other people. They don't care that the person on the other side of their harassment is being severely impacted or is, is you know, is off somewhere sobbing or crying and and in the most extreme cases actually doing themselves harm. Mm-hmm. And it, it sort of becomes a question of going back to what you said about the lack of due process and, and actually sorting through a situation and working through it rationally and having a discussion about it. The due process in yourself, like how you can make yourself stop reacting in anger and sort of a knee-jerk outrage and how you can calm down and prioritize what matters to you in a way that doesn't involve hurting other people. And I think this is something too that we increasingly lose sight of. So here, here I come with my big sweeping statement, which is Social media is kind of the dictator of all this stuff. No, absolutely. I think you're right. Part of the outrage against cancel culture, I believe, is outrage against social media and the way it is dividing us and sort of increasingly siloing us off into these camps that just sort of yell at each other, right? (laughs) Yeah, because there's never, I mean, there's an immense amount of people who can go online and call out others for their behavior and get groups to kind of join this public fray. But also, I think it's worth pointing out that like, when you make the the public fray the target, instead of looking at the points people are raising and why people are angry, you're turning this this thing that was originally used as a tool to call for accountability and a way to sort of level a very imbalanced playing field. You're turning that into a cudgel to use against the people who didn't have power to begin with. So I think it's really complicated, right? Like you're weaponizing this idea of cancel culture and especially the the right wing. I want to say the right wing because they usually are the people who are legislating it yeah. in terms of trying to literally pass bills around it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you see it again on all at every point in the, along the political spectrum, people using this idea of cancel culture to sort of browbeat their political enemies or their their community enemies. Because once you say that something's cancel culture, then you can just sort of dismiss whatever the opposition is saying to you, right? So I think it's a really double-edged sword. Also, I mean, you know, you look at Trump and Trump should have been canceled a thousand times over. There was so much carnage, certainly during his presidency, of people that were getting canceled, but yet he was impervious to cancellation. And so then my next question is, Asia, is it just the patriarchy that is immune to cancel culture? Well, it would kind of seem that way, right? The the whole irony of canceling is that it rarely works. Right. You know, there are these extreme cases where people have, you know, lost their jobs or et cetera. But 
in most of those cases, people lost their jobs because they were held accountable for things they actually did. Mm -hmm. For example, the Central Park bird lady (laughs) who called the cops on on the man in Central Park. Like, she didn't lose her job because she was canceled. She lost her job because she was racist and made all of her coworkers probably afraid of her, right? Yes. So (laughs) there are levels of discourse or just even basic facts about what happened in cases that get lost. Like the Dr. Seuss thing that so many conservatives were outraged about. Yes. Right? Like the narrative around that was that Dr. Seuss was getting canceled, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But in fact, none of Dr. Seuss's major titles, none of the books that you actually have read were getting taken off the shelves. The ones that were getting taken off the shelves were these heinously racist books that hadn't been published in years. And it wasn't like anyone was was actually saying, we will no longer publish Dr. Seuss. No one was saying that at all. They're just saying this sort of minor set of his works that have very offensive contents, we'll we'll just lose those for a while, right? Like, that's it. And I think that's a much different conversation. But that conversation was not the conversation that was being had because people wanted to use that news as an excuse to be mad about cancel culture. Right. Because ultimately, didn't Dr. Seuss's book, didn't didn't it go in the bestseller list during that whole controversy? Right, right, right. Yeah. And the same thing with J.K. Rowling. Like, after she was, quote unquote, canceled for being a transphobe, her sales of her books actually increased in the U.K., so when you talk about, you know, is the, the patriarchy impervious, I think there's two things that are happening. It's that the patriarchy has the power and the ability to shape and control the narrative around cancel culture in a way that the people who are trying to do the canceling do not, right? Mm-hmm. And then also because of that power, they have further power, which is to resist the actual effects of, of people trying to hold them accountable. Right. And it's time for a short break. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Wednesday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Okay, let's get back to it. In a cancel culture, there's no learning curve. And what I mean by that is you cannot make a mistake. And I think as human beings, making mistakes is how we learn. And I, I it's funny because I was just talking to uh, the dean of my daughter's college, and he was saying that even days before students were coming to school, they rescinded a lot of of acceptances because, and this was not because of social media or parents, or it was other students turning other students in, meaning calling up and saying, oh, just so you know, this student did this, that, and the other. And they got the student canceled. And these are teenagers whose frontal lobe haven't developed yet. And so 
if you go to any kind of great scripture, you learn by your mistake. But if you can't make mistakes because you'll be canceled and you can't move forward, then you're like in this incredible guinea pig cyclical. <laughs> it, it's tricky because, yes, like on the one hand, you want there to be grace. You want there to be mercy and you want there to be lenience. Yeah. You know, obviously, I have no idea what kinds of things are they're getting reported for, right? But like, if it's something that's extremely heinously offensive, you know, if they'd been reported and the school had still let them in, you know, would that have sent the message that they need to learn and repent and actually understand what changes to make to their behavior? Or would they have been sent the message that it doesn't matter what they do because they have the privilege and the power to to just skate by and get on into college anyway? Mm-hmm. So I think you have this conversation about consequences and accountability that tends to get lost in sort of this rush to judgment. Right. Actually, and and one thing I think it's important to emphasize is that while we're having all these conversations about consequences and accountability, you have so many people, mostly marginalized people. There's a whole level of, I guess, victimization that gets lost when we're having this conversation and we're trying to say, oh, there's no second chances for anybody. But in fact, a kid who only who quote unquote only has his college application admission rescinded is still, you know, they have a chance to reapply when they do have all of the, the second chances that society tends to afford, you know, upper class privileged white people, (laughs) essentially. You know, I'm a privileged white woman sitting here talking about it. But when you start to look through the lens of race and gender And, you know, socioeconomic income, like it's, yeah, it's a completely different thing, which doesn't make it universal, which enrages me even more. One thing that makes this so difficult is that once you start talking about concepts like mercy and justice, you run into the situation where no one ever has the moral authority to be able to say, hey, this is where we should draw the line and and give someone a second chance. Because as soon as you say, let's give this person a second chance, then because of all the, you know, the morally motivated networked harassment that I mentioned earlier, like that whole trend and that whole tendency, you have people then attacking you and saying, oh, you're part of the problem, right? Like, right. will anybody ever be moral enough to ask and to earn forgiveness in this context? I think that's a legitimate question to ask. But the thing is, once you ask it, then you look like you're part of the enemy. <laughs> Right. I mean, I think about what Barack Obama said about this kind of the quote unquote woke politics and people being so judgmental about each other and saying that's not activism. But for me, sometimes it's very hard to separate that. What is activism and what is basically a a social media pitchfork raid, you know? Right, right. It's really tricky because on the one hand, you want there to be a space where you can have those conversations and you can have those sort of like meeting of the minds, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, nobody should be pressured to say interact with somebody who's made them feel unsafe or, or harmed, etc. Like this whole, you know, mute block sort of functionality that we've gotten like social media developed those types of tools in order to make people safe from harassment, right? I think many people feel increasingly that that's the only way they can really shut toxicity out of their lives. Right. You know, just once once somebody comes at you with an opinion that you don't like, you just block them and move on. And that's important to have. But I also wonder if it maybe protects us from having to share space with ideas that we aren't comfortable with, you know, and, and wrestle with our own opinions and learn how to digest concepts that we don't want to think about and maybe grow as human beings. Listen, there was a survey in 2020 and they found that in 700 interactions, deep listening, meaning kind of respectful, non-judgmental conversations were a thousand times more effective, you know, in kind of bringing people together to understand each other as opposed to just spitting out some venom against somebody and then blocking their response. You know, it's very easy to just hear what you want to hear. And then the bigger thing, Asia, is cancel culture, you know, has his finger in the pie a little bit when it comes to what an angry country we are. It's interesting because I don't want to put all of this blame at the feet of quote unquote cancel culture per se, because before cancel culture was called cancel culture, it was called political correctness, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's always been this tendency to just sort of weaponize language and to weaponize this idea of free speech and use it against people who are marginalized and maybe have not had voices. And one of the reasons that we're seeing all of this anger coalesce right now is because social media has made 
people who previously did not have a voice in the collective public space has made those people more visible, has given them a way to be heard and to be part of the, the cultural conversation more. Throughout history, you would have heard from a bunch of white men with no direct experience involved in the conversation that they were having, right? So, so now that all of this change has happened, you have a lot of people feeling really threatened. But part of the reason they're threatened is because more people are getting to have stakes in the conversation. And I think that's important. Where I do think cancel culture, I do think that there's this aspect of modernity that has really, really made people lose their faith and good faith engagement. Mm -hmm. Because I think people want to be in their small contained communities and they only trust those people to be able to interact with them respectfully. And when you're in those small contained communities and you sort of trust everybody that you're talking to, but once you go outside of your safe space, as it were, and you (laughs) interact with anybody else online, there's an innate level of distrust there, right? And I think the way social media algorithms work is to sort of further and fuel that division and that siloing off of people so that they don't trust anybody else who's outside their specific community, which of course just makes all of the networked harassment worse, which makes all of the blocking and moving on worse. So it really does feel like something that's spiraling and and getting worse because nobody is really sure how to fix it, but everybody hates it. (laughs) Do you think there's a time when cancel culture is positive in the sense of protecting oneself from toxic people or misinformation or inflammatory trolls? I mean, where, where is the line? I tend to view the internet as inherently good because it has given rise to so many opportunities for diverse voices to make themselves heard. So I think that's important. Absolutely. But I also think that it's difficult to find examples where someone was canceled, someone was silenced forever, right? And the internet went, well done, and we all moved on. Like, because even in the worst cases, like with someone like R. Kelly or Bill Cosby or Harvey Weinstein, like Mm -hmm. they've been canceled, but their, their cultural impact is still there. Like you still have the question of what to do with their works, what to do with the legacy and the impact that they left. And and that's that's harder to untangle, right? I guess for me, the best case scenario would be, you know, like somebody gets their admissions rescinded, for example, and they learn, like really and truly learn not to be a Nazi, <laughs> for example. Like that to me would be like a positive. But I, I also think that there are probably more effective ways to teach that because I think what that tends to do is that would probably make the person bitter, right? Instead of making them humble and making them go, oh my God, everyone was right. I'm so sorry. I learned my lesson. But then what happens is they get, like, if they if they didn't know what they were doing, right? And they were like, I was innocent. I'm just a kid. Leave me alone. Then they get embraced, you know, by all of these people with, say, bad intentions who maybe are actual Nazis, right? And who were like, oh, you've been victimized. Come hang with us. We won't victimize you. Yeah, sorry you didn't get into college, but now you're a proud boy. Right, <laughs> exactly, right? That that happens. We see that happen all the time. And I think it's at heart, maybe everybody just wants to be accepted and to fit in. So could you say that cancel culture is kind of a new way, a new in, in our sort of modern way of creating a moral structure, but we're still trying to figure it out? Meaning, if I looked at it in a positive way, is it sort of a newly formatted place or way of saying this is okay and this is not okay, but we just really haven't gotten there yet. I think you're on to something there because I think in many ways you can look to, for example, the the decline in spirituality, right? Like if you think about the function that religious organizations and so forth have held for people throughout centuries, like the lack of of like a moral authority to tell people what's right and wrong has sort of left us kind of in limbo. And so I think to some degree, we've collectively been trying to rebuild a moral foundation on social media, using each other as our as our lodestones, right? And using influencers, I guess, <laughs> as our guideposts. Mm-hmm. And this is how you get, you know, somebody like, like Chrissy Teigen. A perfect example. <laughs> somebody like who is is sort of perceived as like this easygoing moral authority until they do something wrong and then they themselves are canceled, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like we're sort of in this position where we're really looking for moral leaders, essentially. And I think where we can both have a sense of the collective community 
and an agreed upon moral foundation. Mm-hmm. But we also get sort of the the emotional catharsis that we used to get from going to church and, have, and going to revival. I completely agree. I also think that there's a loss of community in our country. And our community, which was the church, was, I don't know, PTA, whatever that thing was that brought us all together in micro and macro communities, is now been shifted online. So that's what I mean by all of a sudden with the internet, we've got to create a whole new moral structure, which I think cancel culture ha- plays a big hand in. And also you have to think about like how harmful many of like our public institutions have been when they've had power to, you know, go on witch hunts and persecute queer people, for example. Like throughout history, our like public institutions have not been infallible. And so we're trying to, I think to some extent, people are trying to build new versions of those systems without replicating all the flaws, but they're getting into whole new problems, you know, because I think more people are aware of, say, you know, how not to be a homophobe, for example, but they're less conscious of, you know, how to treat each other respectfully, how to just sort of sit still with your anger and process what you're feeling and and really work through an argument to, to figure out how to to most effectively react to it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think all of those things are being fueled by, you know, just the nature of social media and the nature of having information flying at you and you latching onto like the thing that ignites your emotions the most, which is usually the thing that makes you the maddest. It's a very, very new sort of brave new world that we're talking about right now. Yeah, which is why, you know, I'm so grateful for this conversation because just the more I've been talking to you about it, the more I go, okay, so it's, it, we've just sort of built the foundation and we're, we're all trying to figure it out and we're all trying to build something that we can sort of both agree on. And I think too, a lot of this could be solved if we had more regulation of the internet as a service because right now the the way that social media operates you have a company like facebook that's really not helping um that that's sort of building these algorithms that just funnel people into angrier and angrier silos of information there's no higher accountability at the top for that you know like you had facebook having to undergo congressional hearings for like the cambridge analytica scandal right right but but nothing really happened <laughs> like no no major change came from that mm-hmm. and I, I realize that this is a process and i don't want to just fully blame facebook but i'm saying facebook is a very representative and huge and crucial example of the absolute lack of people at the top who are being forced to think about these changes because nobody is forcing them to. So this is a machine that just keeps on barreling through society. (laughs) Right. I will say one thing that academics have found helpful is like when they're looking at terrorist recruitment online, they found that when people are really censored and boycotted, essentially when people are actually canceled and effectively pushed out of mainstream social media spaces, Mm -hmm their ability to be influential drastically decreases. And I think that that's interesting because that implies that canceling someone by actually denying them a voice in the mainstream is super effective when it comes to fighting extremism. And there are academics and tech researchers thinking about this problem and working on it all day long. But we obviously have a long way to go. We do have a long way to go. But Asia, you've helped me so much today. You really have. Like I said, I think we all need to think about it and process it and figure out the best way to use the internet for good. And and by the way, if I've said anything that's going to get me canceled, I hope you'll support me on this podcast. <laughs> So Asia, this season of Go Ask Alley, I'm actually asking my guests and listeners to ask me questions because I feel like I do a lot of asking other people. So do you have a question you would like to go ask Allie? I do. So Allie, I have been watching a street dance show lately where people compete to do various street dance and hip hop styles. And I'm just wondering if you have ever done street dancing or if you have any opinions on street dance. Oh, you're so sweet to think that I would have ever street danced. Um, Asia, I failed dance at NYU drama school, but I do live in New York City and I see street dancing all the time and I'm mesmerized by it. And right. I, I have seen the most talented people in the world do it. I mean, if you walk, you know, in Central Park in the springtime, you see some of these women and men doing triple flips and bouncing off the wall and it's unbelievable so really is. I am such a fan of it. I mean, it's a true art form. I agree. I agree. They have battle competitions where they just compete like they have to freestyle. 
And it's just the whole world. And I'm fascinated by it. I am. I actually am really fascinated by it, too. And I would love to see a competition. Me, too. We should go. Yeah, take me. <laughs> Absolutely. Asia, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Next up, Amy Schumer joins me to give us the lowdown on comedy in a world of cancel culture and also schools me on what jokes I can and cannot say. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Wednesday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. And now my friend and one of the funniest people ever in the comedy world, Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer is an Emmy-winning and Golden Globe-nominated stand-up comedian, actress, writer, producer, and director. Like so many comedians, she has often toured theaters and arenas all over the world. But in 2016, Schumer became the only female comic to headline Madison Square Garden. Woohoo! Last year, she released her three-part docuseries, Expecting Amy, about her incredibly difficult pregnancy while also creating a comedy special. And currently, Amy can be seen in Stephen Karam's film adaption of his Tony-winning play, The Humans. Oh, Amy Schumer, hi. Hi, 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 hi. Hi, Allie. Oh, God, I love you. And I heard your son just in the background, so I want to <laughs> make sure that you have time to make his mac and cheese. So, Oh, yeah. This episode is something that I've been really fascinated with. It's about cancel culture and comedy, because I... Truly, even this morning, I did um, a talk show and I afterwards was spinning because I was like, am I allowed to say that? Can I make that joke? Oh, my God, the hate is going to come pouring in. So tell me, this is a very, very broad pain stroke of a question, but censorship, problematic tweets, Me Too, comics are being scrutinized like never before. Right. So is there a panic in the industry and is comedy dead? There, little question. That, that is a simple question. Yes, I think, mm -hmm. yes, comedy's dead. We're all dead. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's a great question and like really worth talking about. I feel like as someone who, you know, we all want to like do our best. Yes. And aside from just getting canceled, it's like, how can I be helpful? You know, you know? and as somebody who's like trying to be a good ally and advocate and whatever, I just, I know I'm going to fuck up. So I'm just like, just tell me when I fuck up. I'm going to do my best and try and be authentic. But, you know, just just tell me when I, if I say something wrong. And people do. Right. <laughs> uh, I've learned, you know, from different 
times I've gotten backlash and it's just worth listening to. And I don't think anyone, you know, it's like the people who are actually being like fully canceled, um, as far as comedians, well, no one's really been canceled. Like even like Louis doing shows again, but I think that it's more helpful to say, I don't want to buy a ticket to your show than saying like, come on back and let's normalize and forgive. I don't know. I I sort of feel like comedy now, where we are right now in our culture is kind of can be a vehicle for radical thought. And what I mean by that is there are plenty of ways of talking about communities in a funny, funny way that don't necessarily have to be derogatory. Yeah. I also think like what you just said, as a comedian, if you can listen to your people, you know, your crowds and, and your fans when they say, hey, by the way, you know, this is uncool. That's also part of. I guess, our learning curve as people in the comedic world. I mean, I I know that on social media, you know, there's lots of hate. That's just the norm. So I just, you know, comb through the hate and go, I know, I know. (laughs) My God, George could have done better. I get it. I get it. But occasionally somebody will say something that I go, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I shouldn't have used that pronoun or that joke is actually, you know, inflammatory. I get it. Thank you. Yeah. I'm trying to educate myself to, to be helpful in that way. And I understand the defensive reaction to want to be like, no, that's not what I meant. Or here's why I'm not racist or why, you know, but I have like learned my lesson enough times that it's like actually usually better to just listen because there's probably something in what you know, I mean, I used to do roasts, you know, I did those yeah. comedy central roasts they are so mean. You like go for the absolute jugular. And I wouldn't do those now because I I just, as a younger comic, like I just didn't really think about that people actually had their feelings hurt. Right. You know, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. Like that's not, I don't think that's heroic. I've just learned that about myself. It doesn't feel good. It's not worth it. So when people, you know, they have specials or, you know, their act where it's like, it's just not helpful. It's like, what are you fighting for? Like any comic who's like, I miss the days we could... You could slap a woman in public. You know, it's like, are you, who is this for? Is this, that's is this someone we want to support? I'm not even kidding. It's like that insane. So, you know, and as far as cancel culture goes, I think that the people who are the most afraid and complaining about cancel culture are the ones who are in danger of being canceled and they need to take a look at themselves. I agree with you. You know, I'm not worried about it. When I'm on stage, I'm not worried. I'm going to say something that's going to, because I know my intentions and I know that I'm like open to evolving. Yeah. I also think that, I mean, as a stand-up comedian, of which I am not, I tried it but once. But you are hilarious and I've been your fan forever. Oh, thank you. Sorry, bitch. <laughs> I'll take it, bitch. <laughs> I did once try stand-up, but they all yelled strep and that's when I stopped. But, you know, they say that if you're too intimidated to try to be deep or provocative, you shouldn't do stand-up comedy because that is kind of your role as a comedian to you know shed the light on so many things that maybe we would be too afraid to talk about or joke about so that i mean to me that's that slippery slope i think the most provocative thing you can do as a comic I, it is exciting to have people go in thinking one way and to say some things that you feel like maybe changed their mind or evoked some thought or emotion but i think it's an opportunity to educate like some reviewer once said that my show was like sneaking shaved carrots in the brownies and I love that because <laughs> I really you know you have to like sneak you're, you're trying to be funny but you also want to you know so like something that I'm doing right now which is so fun you're the first person who's gonna see this but uh and maybe it won't even be good for a podcast but you know I had hyperemesis just like you did was so sick and found out that in New York I'm sure you know this Black women are 12 times more likely to die unnecessarily during childbirth in New York. It's it's like three times around the whole country. Three times is already a lot of times. 12 times more likely. Jesus. So anyway, it's like, okay, how do you drop that statistic on an audience? But what I just did was I ordered this mask of an old white man. So I think if you wear this into the hospital, you could get like a great C-section and no one will be mad at you. <laughs> you know, you just are like, just treat me like I'm this old white 
politician. Uh, that is so funny. It's pretty good, right? And for our listeners, she just put on a white man, old man kind mask. Kind of like a Bernie Sanders. Very much so. Maybe like a Bernie mask. Oh my God, yeah. I love that. I love that's it. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> I just got it today. But that's exactly right. You're taking risk. You're, you're making a statement, but we're all laughing, you know, learning through laughter. Yeah. And it's just like being an ally and all this stuff is so imperfect. And like, it's a constant negotiation. So it's like, you can't win and people are going to be annoyed, but that shouldn't keep you from trying to be part of the conversation because that's what people want. And that just keeps the white supremacist patriarchal system in place is because they just assume people are going to want to just repeat the status quo and not make too much noise, especially women, so as not to annoy anybody. Right. But it's funny because it's really the women that are shaking it up. Yeah. Like you, like um, I, I was watching Michelle Wolf's stand up show the other day and, so you know, she she goes right in for abortion and so many other things. Mm-hmm. And yet and yet you're laughing. It does not feel preachy. It feels invigorating. And, yeah. you know, I can only imagine the pushback she got, but she didn't get canceled. You know, and even back on, you know, when David Chappelle was talking about child molestation and Louis C.K. was insulting the Parkland shooting survivors, Kevin Hart about his son being gay, they weren't canceled for those things. No, they weren't canceled. Um, If anything, it probably got them like another Netflix special. Any publicity is good. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, okay, we want to sign you up for the next deal right now. Um, Yeah, like and. That stuff is just not helpful. Like, I don't think it's brave to take a stand against the Parkland students. It's, you know, you're just going the wrong way. Yeah. Like, why would you want to oppress any group of people? And I think, you know, Chappelle dropped a new special. And it's like, it's like a lot of it is, it's like, you know, it's hard to speak out and speak up for people as a white woman of privilege because that's what you're going to be, you know, and nobody wants to hear you apologize. Like, our white guilt is not helping anybody but I still want to try. Yeah. You know? Yes. And and so in your stand-up, like, I just want people to be funny. And, and like, I, I think it's strange how focused people get on their own haters. You know, it's like, I, I would rather see a special where somebody is not focusing on the sort of press they got about something or answering back for something. It's like, I, I do want to hear just about things that we can all relate to and that kind of stuff. Like, you know, there's so many different comedians and everybody should, you know, do whatever they want. But, but I just think it, it's more interesting. I totally agree. Yeah. I actually just read the other day, um, Jay Leno said that he was reworking all his routines now because of cancel culture, which I thought his were pretty. I, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know his stand up, actually. I heard he was a great stand up. I, I've never seen it. It's pretty tame. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I mean, I think somebody like Jerry Seinfeld doesn't really need to worry about that because he doesn't say anything that's like cancelable. He's not the king of edginess, right? No, no, no. Um, no, I I mean, I have jokes that I am so not proud of and that I've learned so much like, you know, jokes that just make me cringe so hard because but also it's just like that the way that we were raised, like I was raised around people that thought racist jokes were funny. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, somebody would make a joke, like our, our black friends, like we would make jokes about how they couldn't swim, you know? And like, we thought that was hilarious and they would laugh and it was like totally normalized. And then as you know, I'm getting older and like learning, like, well, why is that? And it's like, oh, because of segregation and because black people weren't allowed in pools and yeah. they were humiliated and, and some people were killed for putting their foot in what was considered the white section of a pool. And that, you know, I don't think, um, you know, it's a process. But you weren't conscious of that. Now you're conscious of this kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah, and I want to do better and I want to like help. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard of a behavioral agreement form? No. But I'm interested So for, for my husband to get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's called a prenup. No, it's a yeah. um, it's a it's a new form that I read about. And for comedian for stand up comedians, it says by signing this contract, you are agreeing to our no tolerance policy with regards to racism, sexism, classism, ageism, ableism, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, xenophobia, Islamophobia or anti-religion or anti atheism. How about that? Well, wait, and that's for the comedian to sign before they go up? Yeah. Wow. 
some new comedy clubs are having behavioral agreement forms, which is That's crazy. Interesting. It's interesting. Yes. That is wild. I know. That's a but, lot of phobias. Arachnophobia gets like really specific. I know. It gets very <laughs> afraid of your own vagina. I don't know what that's called. Yeah. I mean, it's like. You haven't signed that though. I have not signed it. But like one time I went to Dubai to do stand up and I think I did have to sign something saying that I wouldn't talk about religion or, um, you know, whatever. And it felt so bad. Like you just, you don't want those rules on you. And I mean, what is that? The clubs, uh, is that the clubs like insuring themselves if the audience gets, I don't know what that is. That's, that seems weird to me. Or maybe they can say, we, we're not going to pay you because yeah. of this, because you said that. I mean, who knows? I just thought it who was um, a little. That is wild. Yeah, really that wild. That is wild. But also like, I don't know. I've been doing these shows at the Comedy Cellar, just like getting yeah. my sea legs back, you know, doing stand up after the pandemic. And are you doing COVID jokes? A little bit. You know, I don't really have a ton, but uh, yeah, the audience, it's, it's advertised as like a secret girl show. And so the audience knows it's going to just be women on the show. And I think that is like a nice feeling. And and the audience, there have been some men in the audience, but it's been largely just female crowds. And it's it's felt very safe and, and sweet, you know. Oh, that's, can anybody go? Yeah. Can I go? I'm a girl. I mean, if you've got $17, <laughs> I do think it's $17, <gasps> but. You're, you're worth it. Thank you. That's really sweet. I was thinking about after 9-11, Everybody said, oh, God, you can't be funny. Comedy's dead. You know, you can't. But you can't. Yeah, you can't. But there was definitely a momentary pause in black humor, irony, cynicism, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But then after a few weeks, it came back and people started to, you know, so and I hate to use this line about, you know, uh, whatever it is, circumstances plus time equals comedy or whatever the hell that is. But, um, you know, but. In some ways, I think it is true that right now we're so seeped in this cancel culture that maybe two years from now. I mean, they have it, though. They have it. It's like they've got Rogan. They've got Burr. They have access to that right now. So I don't think it's so much that like, you know, a lot of comedians are going to go back to that. It's uh, because it's it's there if you want it. They have their people. Yeah. There are people hanging on to... whatever those views are and how exactly I personally get all my medical advice from Joe Rogan. Um, I do too. And, and always have, I've lost 10 pounds on the dewormer <laughs> horse stuff, which is fabulous. <laughs> Nobody told me that. No activated charcoal and dewormer. And I'm actually never felt better. I yep. get my period every even with without a uterus. I get my period. Same. I don't have ovaries. I get my period. <laughs> it's incredible. Perfect. Um, so I'm also hearing a lot of stand up comedians don't want to do college campus tours because they say that the college students are way too politically correct and quote unquote woke and they get really upset about. I mean, have you heard that? That is I would say that, that I, I've never felt fed as an artist by a college show, but I mean, they pay great money, so I don't know who's saying no to those shows, but I'll go and I'll just, I'll read the Declaration of Independence, play it safe. Do they really pay? They pay big bucks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Colleges pay really well. So anyone who's like, I mean, that's not the show you're going to work on and be like, God, I learned so much about myself as an artist. They are really, really sensitive and woke and all of that. And that's okay. You know, that's, that's how they're feeling. You can't tell them that they're feeling incorrectly. So... Yeah, if you're going to do a college show, just like I would just say, like, don't take those big risks and the big swings. Like, it's not worth it. Just take the check. Yeah, it's just yep. get that check, get in and out of Ann Arbor or wherever the <laughs> fuck, and <laughs> go do a show at a nightclub if you want to express yourself. Yep. That's so funny. <laughs> How much political humor do you do? Do you do a lot of politics? No, no. I don't. I. I mean, it's so depressing. It's not because I'm trying to stay away from it. Like, I have a joke right now where I'm like, let's try and think of it in, instead of the abortion ban in Texas. Like, let's think of it as an opportunity for a destination abortion. <laughs> and, you know, like trying to spin it. Like, bring your girlfriends to Cancun. You've always wanted to go. But it's like, it's so dark. It's so unfunny. And and what's... Oh, but it's... You know, but know. It's, it's just such a bummer. And I know I want... I do want jokes about it. But... I I lost like I think half my audience going out for Hillary 
Did you really? I, yeah, I was doing arenas and I was I, I was in Tampa and I was, you know, like this is a big deal. Like basketball teams play here. And I just asked the question. I was like, can somebody just explain why you don't like Hillary? Like I just, I don't understand. Like I've, I've just never heard what the reasoning is, you know, like just anybody in the audience. Uh-huh. And somebody came up and they were like her emails. And I was like, what does that mean? You know, and there was no, nobody had any information. And, and so like 200 people left the the show and they wrote about it like mass exodus. I'm like, well, what about the 12,000 people that stayed? Like, can we focus on that? That's pretty good. That exactly. It's like, I think that I love that the people who come to see me on purpose, I know they're on my side. I know they're not, you know, like, yeah. I love looking out at the crowd and knowing like these people are on the right side of history. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine that it would be like if you were like Bon Jovi or somebody and you come out and it's just the Mormon Tabernacle Choir watching you, you know, like who who wants that anyway? No. You know what I mean? No, I'd rather not. I, you know, I have friends who don't speak out about anything because they're afraid it'll hurt their career. And I think that seems like a really stifling way to live. I could not do that. I could not keep my mouth shut and be able to sleep at night. But also, the fact that you don't keep your mouth shut is what's so great about you. Well, thank you. Truly. And will you tell that to my husband? <laughs> yes. Obviously, I need to do a podcast with your husband. Um, but also, I think people now are like, you know, politics are so full of lies. You know, I'm get basically getting my truths from stand-up comedians. You know what I mean? Yeah, me too. I get a lot of, I learned so much from Sam B or John Oliver. And yeah, like there have been moments in my life where I'm watching like, you know, wall to wall Maddow and like just I'm glued to that stuff. But now it's like I want to be informed, but I do feel like I just need a break. Yeah. Because it's just all so depressing. Yeah, it's a lot. Listen, I during lockdown, I was locked down with a news anchor and all he did was just he was just like a running feed of bad news. So oh, um, God. I know. So I looked <laughs> You're like I want to see other people. I was yes, I went in open marriage, but I was like seeking comedy out to save me from it all. It was yeah. too much. And whether that was comedians making fun of what was going on or it was comedians who were just you know, like Jerry talking about marriage or something else. It was my escape, literally my mental escape because I needed it so badly. Yeah, I know. I really just feel like people want to like laugh and be silly. And, and that's what I want to. Yes. I know. Oh, my God. Laughter is everything. And and the other thing is that I wanted to ask you about is and and I'll probably get canceled for this, but I have very strong feelings about like being offended by the material or being offended because it wasn't funny. And I remember a million years ago, and I'm going to say this wrong, Tosh.0. Yes, that is his name. That's his legal name. Okay. He was doing some stand-up and he made a rape joke and a woman stood up right, and walked out and he yelled after her and said something like, you know, I hope you get gang raped on the way home. And right. everybody was like, you know, there was this big debate about it. And I said at the time I had a show on Yahoo and I said, you know, first of all, there's nothing f funny about rape. There's no joke there. Mm -hmm. But his joke wasn't even funny. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's <laughs> wishing gang rape on someone is not ever like the gold standard of, of hilarity. I don't think. No, but it's also not a joke. It's not a joke. Right. There's nothing funny about it. I know. I, that's a problem I've been having, too. I really don't care for comedians acts where there's no joke. They're actually just expressing actual hate for women. Yes. And and that's where people go. Yeah, but but it's funny. And you're like, w there was no punchline. Th like these right. people just actually feel very threatened by women. Yeah, it was completely misogynistic. And so I spoke out about it. What did you say? You said on Yahoo. You didn't I, I said on Yahoo two things. I said, one, rape is never an area that, you know, makes me guffaw. And, right. but also I wasn't even laughing like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm laughing. It was right. just a lazy, horrible, mean-spirited, women-hating thing to say. Yeah. And of course I got hundreds of tweets from, you know, 14-year-old boys going like, I hope you get gang raped. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. okay. Thank you. Thank you for your feedback. Uh, yeah. Yes. It's, it's so, um, yeah. But I mean, that was clearly a case where 
you're not funny and you're not funny. No, it's not. It, uh, it's just like not brave. It's not funny. It's but but in the past, you have made jokes, let's say, about being overweight or heavy. I remember your your Dove soap commercial <laughs> jokes. And I mean, first of all, I'm peeing in my pants laughing, but also it had a point. It was really uplifting and inspiring at the same time. And that to me is the genius and the craft of being a comedian. You know, if you can actually, actually lift up and make us laugh. Yeah. You should fucking get the Nobel Peace Prize, especially right That's now. That's the goal. Yes. That is the goal. Thank you. Because I've been applying for this. They keep giving it to people like Malala or, you know. I know. And I'm like, what about me? The real hero. I actually said recently, <laughs> George said, oh, this scientist won the Nobel Peace Prize. And I said, oh, fucking not Amy Schumer again. That, it's such bullshit. I don't, they're not responding to my letters. I'm really. Well, well. Well, I'm going to get a group together. We're going to start. Talk to the people. I'm going to talk to the people. Thank talk you. Talk to the people on the phone. Okay, so I wanted to ask you, I wanted to go ask Allie. Yes. What was it like to have COVID so early on? Good question. How did it make you feel emotionally? So when I had it, it was really early March. It was in scary times, like yeah. wintry and everybody was freaking out and everybody like bunkered down or flew from the city. And I got it. I was not scared. I did not think I was going to die because I never think that I'm going to die in any kind of big dramatic way. Which is why I know, like, if I was on a plane with my husband and it went down, it would be like, you know, George Stephanopoulos plus one dies. No. Yes. You would be listed in the death. The wife. The wife. You are worthy of a big death. <laughs> Thank you. But um, it scared everybody else because it was so early on. It scared me. And when it started to get into pneumonia, that's when... You know, it was like, all right, George's got to go get those big horse antibiotics. And, you know, it freaked my mother out. But also, George took a picture of me for Good Morning America because we wanted to alleviate some fear. Like, I have it, but I'm, I'm okay. I'm not on a ventilator. You know, so we kind of wanted to not freak people out because a lot of times you would, after me, you would see somebody in the news and it would say like, they have COVID, but you didn't know what that meant. So we sort of chronicled a little bit and then me, you know, coming downstairs, having not seen my husband and children for three weeks was a way to say, I got through it. It's okay. Um, but you know, it was, it was being the part of the early days was, you know, it was a little scary. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, Jerry and Jessica did throw toilet paper and fabric softener over the wall, which was incredibly kind. Wow. Yeah. That's true friendship. Anyway, I I got through it. I got through it. Okay. Um, Amy Schumer, go be with your baby boy. Oh, okay. Well, I love you. I love you too. Thank you for doing this. You're amazing. Thanks for having me. If you ever want to talk about our vaginas. Um, I would like to talk about our vaginas under any circumstances. Well, I mean, and this is no joke. I feel like we have some stuff to say. I think like our vaginas have a lot to say. I think we should let them speak. We'll stay out of it and they'll just talk. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. I can never get enough of Amy Schumer. Oh, I love her. I love her. She's funny. She's empowered. She's smart. And Asia is so insightful. My God, I had these two powerhouses on my podcast talking about cancel culture. And I think cancel culture is here, guys. It's here for a while. And I I don't even think I can say guys anymore. I think you get canceled for that. Um, People. So thank you. Thank you, Asia. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for listening to Go Ask Alley. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast and follow me on social media. On Twitter at Allie E. Wentworth and on Instagram at The Real Allie Wentworth. And if you have questions or guest suggestions, I'd love to hear from you. Call or text me at 323-364-6356 or email Podcast at gmail.com. Go Ask Alley is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Wednesday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. 